Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis on this Monday morning. Well, coming up on the show today, a special discussion about income inequality, the widening wealth gap, which you've heard so much about. It's happening all around the world, not just here and not just in the United States. Is it unjust or is it just part of the human condition, something that happens naturally? If it is unjust, how can it be reversed? And what is driving this? Is it quantitative easing, the nature of capitalism? Is it technology, robots everywhere stealing your job, or the fact that capital appreciation is simply increasing faster than growth? Well, joining us for the discussion is Michael DeGolier, professor of Hong Kong Baptist University, Nick Salno-Smith, chairman of the Link REIT, and Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Gents, good morning. Great to great to have everybody on the program. First, uh, let's take the temperature of markets uh, for the news junkies out there who are used to getting a little bit more news flow on this program. Uh, we wanted to do this, have a single topic show, but we'll give you at least some of the numbers here. Uh, the yen is maintaining its rebound against its peers this morning. Uh, crude oil, silver and copper futures have fallen. Most of the Asian markets look a little bit soft this morning. The yen steady at 103.33 per dollar. The bank of Japan will report on monetary policy tomorrow. So this is very key meeting. Analysts polled by Bloomberg said that the BOJ might double purchases of ETFs, exchange traded funds, as part of a second round of easing. In the United States, the latest jobs report was a little disappointing that we had out Friday night, our time. And in the markets, it will be quite interesting to see this week whether the route in technology stocks, uh, biotech, technology, internet stocks, all of these have been hit pretty hard here of the past week or two, whether that continues this week. So um, we'll be watching that for you and we'll get back to our regular format tomorrow. So an interesting discussion means you just jump in, everybody. So um, this would be like back chat, uh, something like this. Balderdash, my good man, you know not of what you speak or Jane, you ignorant slut. I know Michael remembers that from Saturday Night Live fans. Uh, remember that from the Dan Aykroyd days and Jane Curtin will be a little bit more civilized, but let's retain some of that fighting spirit. Just jump in. Don't ask uh, or wait for questions to be asked. Uh, so um, let me go actually to Nick first for fun. Nick, what is driving, do you think, this upward trend in uh, inequality? Oh, well, thank you, Brian. First on uh, news flow, uh, sports news with no result of Formula One. Can't believe it. Um, anyway, let's get to our discussion. Um, I think one of the things we need to be clear in our minds about two different concepts here. First is the wish to be treated equitably, to be treated in the same way, which virtually everyone, I think, supports. Anti-discrimination legislation is aimed at this. And the second is the one you, of course, uh, developed in the intro, which is inequality of outcome, uh, often inequality of money. And I think there's an important reason we should keep the distinction in our minds, because all human beings are different. We are all unequal. Uh, I may be taller than you, you may be stronger than me. We have differences in intellect, skills and all sorts of things. Um, So why should one assume that uh, similar economic outcomes, uh, when we all have these different skills uh, and characteristics, be our aim? Well, because if the gap gets too wide, people... um, Well, let me get to that, Brian. I mean, why should Lee Na not get paid more than, than I do for playing tennis? And then your point about it gets too wide, 
if you personally make that judgment, who gets to substitute um, for what the market would otherwise pay Lenar and me for playing tennis? Why should you or any other group of people make a decision that the outcome in a free market is wrong and you, went to Im- you want to w- would like to impose a different one? So let's let Michael DeGoyer answer that question. Michael? I, I come at it a very indifferent way. Uh, I, I think it's a matter of looking at uh, uh, system stabilities and instability, something you just hinted at. Um, whenever you look at uh, societies in which um, there's an increasing disparity between the top and the bottom, the bottom is basically, uh, for example, homeless. They have no access to health care, no access to housing, no access to uh, education and various other things like this. Uh, what you get in terms of system instabilities is not just this. It's, it's actually not the very poorest people who tend to get out into the streets. It's the middle class whenever they feel like they're being pushed down into this lower level. They, they fear losing what they have. That's when you get revolutions. But I think even more dangerous in today's world uh, is this lower group at the bottom becoming uh, effectively kind of a reservoir for things like disease, diseases that are untreated. Uh, For example, now we have an increasing alarm uh, in the medical field uh, about untreatable tuberculosis, uh, a kind of TB that we have absolutely nothing that can stop it. And this is something that uh, killed people uh, by the millions back in the 19th century. So, so, so you Can say, I come in on this? Yeah, go ahead, Barry. Because I would like to say that from a U.S. perspective, I think that we're talking about income inequality rising in the states really only because of the Great Recession. We've had six straight years of subpar economic growth, and it's the poor who get hit the most. The statistics, I don't think, lie. I think that we do see great income inequality in the United States and indeed in many countries. But I don't think it would be an issue if we had faster economic growth. Well, there's a famous economist at the moment, uh, perhaps one of the most um, talked about in the past couple of months is this French uh, economic historian, Thomas Piketty. And he's published a, a work that is being called a seminal work because he says, never mind what's happened in the past five years. Um, what happened after the Second World War, that this past century was very different because you had two world wars and a depression. And uh, after the Second World War, there was there was a sort of... Um, increase in equality, but that was only temporary, lasted for 30 years, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And the natural state is that capital increases uh, faster than economic growth, and that we're heading back towards that unless we do something about it. Do you have any... Story? Well, what would we do? That's the question, Well, he, he What recommends, would we do about it? He recommends I read a wealth these accounts tax. of Piketty. I just, I'm very skeptical of an academic study. I think you could come in these, uh, this, this uh, subject in many different ways. I think it's, it's, it's time that we look at it, but this is one study. And I think that uh, people on the right would come at it quite differently and make an equally persuasive argument. Brian, could I come in here? That, 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 uh, I agree with Michael about the, the concerns about poverty and all of those social issues. But as Barry said, the question is, what do you do? Do you try and engineer society to create something that you think would be a a better society? And there's a lot of, many, many people who feel that that's what government should do, that the role of government is to engineer society in a direction that we would want. The problem with that is you then start to impose uh, one group's view 
on other people and you generate a different type of unrest. Well, that happens all the time. I mean, that, that's the nature of politics. It's the use of power to impose your views on others. Uh, that's what legislation does um, on all things, speeding, for example. <laughs> um, but if, if you go back to this uh, issue uh, about um, the, the, the impact of poverty, and we, let's take it in a competitive framework. Uh, if you look at sports, if sports uh, basically had no system uh, other than the allocation of money, in other words, there was no draft okay, uh, of players, uh, you would have... Uh, You'd have a, a few New York Yankees and, and then all the losers. That's right. And what was discovered was that this had a definite impact on the competitive nature of the sport, not just in the sense of competition of you know, fair play and so forth like this, but the market for sports. If there was no chance at all of uh, other than the top two to three teams ever winning, you know, except by a, a disastrous fluke of some kind... Um, then people would lose interest in the business of sports itself. They would just not even start supporting teams and so forth. And so you had a system developed in which views were imposed on others uh, by a binding agreement uh, that there would be a means to ensure that competition would be better. You have the same thing in society. And this is the reason we've got such inequality. Look at these sports salaries. They're completely out of whack. We've lost our moral compass. No one thinks in the States any longer, and indeed well, that, many the, countries in the world, that's the that it's in thing, bad taste Barry. to take so much money. Th- that's the opposite thing, Barry. What you're talking about is the use of the draft and the, the concept of trying to limit uh, uh, salaries so that you had some d- equal division of talent. That was the whole point of the system, which has been corrupted by money. And, and this is the whole issue, I think, with social systems and political systems as well. There are very smart... Very poor people, and if they don't have access to things like education, it hurts the whole system of competition. Can I, Brian, uh, just get back to your original question, which is why is this such an issue now uh, and it hasn't been in the past? And I think one um, element of the answer to that, you talked about technology, I talk about globalization. The globalization of the scale of a business. So whether it's a Premier League football club and the number of people that that game can reach at a weekend, uh, whether it's um, Google, whether it's somebody uh, writing an iPhone app that can immediately sell 100000 at $10 each at very low distribution costs. This globalization of the ability to sell to a very large number of people has created much le- higher levels of wealth than when you could only sell in a small local market. Sergey Brin is only that rich because of the ability to globalize his 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 business. The issue then, as Michael says, is entirely a political one, whether the majority of people in a society say, because I, not enough of this is mine, I'm going to vote in a party that will stop uh, Sergey Bring taking home as much money as he does. Yeah, and, and I question whether that's, that's right. It might be serious constraints on the activities of people. Uh, it is true that nowadays, if you're a superstar, no matter what it's in, if you are um, a software developer, if you're um, a doctor, a lawyer, it used to be that you probably had a market of maybe 50 to 100 million, depending upon the size of your country. Now you have the 7 billion people in the world who are willing to pay for your skills if they are the best in the world. Well, again, I, I don't think this, quote, disparity uh, is, is the essential problem. Uh, the essential problem is 
largely what you do with that money in terms of whether or not you're going to have a social system in which there is some sense of legitimacy and equity. Uh, this is why we have this so-called one-person, one-vote uh, notion, this idea of equality. Uh, whenever your systems basically, like in sports, become subject to the highest bidder, whenever we have the, quote, best democracy that money can buy, uh, this is when you start getting a, a, a serious breakdown in social systems and political systems. You start then risking revolution, the kind of revolution that threw my ancestors out of their inherited nobility title. So do you think the recent Supreme Court decisions in the U.S. about um, donations to political parties and individuals is uh, totally a step in the wrong direction? Absolutely in the wrong direction, because it basically leaves it to people who have immense amounts of wealth. Uh, instead of using it to generate jobs, instead of using it to um, uh, benefit society. I mean, you go back to some of the great wealthy 19th century uh, people like Carnegie who put a library in every small town in America. Uh, instead, we have, for example, the Koch brothers and Shelton Adelson and others trying to impose their views uh, of various things well, on the true, entire at body the same politic. Time, you've got a Bill Gates Foundation, his wife Melinda, you've got Warren Buffett giving away I have half nothing, the fortune. Nothing I mean, against that at all. It's, it, whenever you but use the, something. That's the, that's the Carnegie analog. It's happening that's exactly today. Right. Very rich people are giving away a lot of money. Look, at the as long as it's not invested thing. to buy politics, if it's not invested to buy the that's Senate, we, buy the, buy the House. Be corrupted like that. I agree. Nick, what do, you, what do you think, Nick, about too much freedom? If you freedom? have economic growth, if you have access to education, you have rising productivity, this issue will go away. And the extent to which we don't have that, it becomes a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, Brian, again, I think what e one easily gets into confusions because of the emotional issues that, that, that Michael is talking about. The, um, of course, I think almost everyone would be against corruption in politics. They'd be against theft. They'd be against fraud. But if you allow your concerns about those issues to be turned into the idea that nobody should have more than ten times somebody else's income, um, this is a completely different thing. I mean, if, if you taxed all of Carnegie's wealth away, he wouldn't have uh, left any foundations. You'd have had it invested by a group of civil servants who'd received all the tax income. Now, now why would that be a have, better answer? Well, what we had before the Supreme Court decisions was we, ha we tried to have limits on how much money could actually get into politics, just like we had in the sports field, limits on how much uh, money could affect um, but, uh, Michael, the, that's the not income inequality. That's uh, a completely sure different thing. Yeah, it, it, but basically there, it, it, it's, it's the use of income. This is the whole oh, key yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, different thing. It, and that's exactly the point about taxation. Michael, uh, would you tax income at a higher rate or would you tax wealth? Uh, again, I think that, you know, whenever you look at the um, uh, taxation systems that we had uh, prior to the Reagan era, um, there were a lot of um, rules uh, put in place to reward uh, charitable giving, not political giving. Political giving was, uh, giving was explicitly excluded from having a tax break. Okay, If you gave it to build a library, you got a tax break. Mm. If you gave it to buy a senator, you didn't get a tax break. Nick, what do you think of that? Would you like that? Uh, well, I wouldn't want the taxes in the first place, of course, as you know, Brian. I mean, but I that think just opens the door for this kind of abuse, which yeah, is exactly what but, happened. But, but Michael, yeah, you always get abuse in all societies. Rules. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, always it, abuse. If you want to engineer away all all abuse, you have to have a completely controlled society, no, which has lots no, of don't. other downsides. No, you don't. Uh, we, we had it for many years. I mean, the point of the, the French scholar's book 
uh, is pointing out that for a period of time we didn't have these kinds of problems as a, as a reaction to the, the the wars and revolutions and collapses, economic collapses that we had prior to that, prior to 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 this period of more uh, regulated capitalism, you might say. Um, and I think that what he's talking about is, in a sense, trying to restore the balance uh, b- before the globalization process led to these gigantic distortions as we see now. I mean, you're totally right. We cannot just simply step back. We have to adjust. And this is the whole point about when you look at living systems uh, that evolve within a context, uh, they, 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 they evolve. They change. They're, they don't do the same things. They come up with, with different solutions to the similar problems of how to survive in an environment. And that's okay. exactly what we need to do again okay, to so keep ourselves from destroying the system. Let's talk about some individual areas. Uh, Nick mentioned globalization and the role that that has played. What about technology's role, Nick? Uh, yes, I think that uh, a big feature in the future, which is going to create a lot of social issues that, that Michael would be concerned about, um, is indeed going to be uh, not only physical robots, but, but uh, computer algorithms that are going to basically replace a lot of white-collar jobs uh, that were done by human beings in the past. Now, the question, of course, is how we respond to this. There are two types of response. One is to say that we are going to control the outcomes through elected governments who are going to make it um, difficult for people to do one thing. They're going to transfer wealth from one area to another to achieve the outcome that they want. The other is to allow a market solution and see what kind of work people could be employed for once they've lost jobs that have been replaced by certain types of technology. And, and I, of course, there are two that you can go down either path. Uh, what I'm concerned about is the social engineered path can lead to all sorts of unintended consequences that many like people what? in society wouldn't want. Like what? Uh, like, like people not being able to make free choices. Uh, I mean, communist uh, Russia was a socially engineered society which was originally aimed at much more equality of income and, and uh, engineered outcomes. Well, I, I don't think equality of income, again, this is a straw man. What we're talking about here, for example, to take your, to take your example, if you've got a choice between, quote, employing, and I'm putting that uh, air quotes around that, employing a robot who doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't take cigarette breaks or coffee breaks, works 24 hours, doesn't even need lights on, doesn't need any of the things that human beings need, uh, of course it's going to be more, quote, economic to employ the robot than a person. On the other hand, the person has these needs. Are we just going to say that simply because you no longer suit or fit the requirement of production, like the robot does, that you get nothing, absolutely nothing. Well, it's training. It's training. You've got to retrain these people. You've got to boost their education level. Then the robot, because the huge capital investment that goes into that, I don't know, whole line of robots, how are you going to retrain? They've got to be retrained. How are you going to retrain? I mean, statistically, as uh, Eisenhower one time jokingly discovered, uh, half of Americans are below average IQ. Yeah, Barry, uh, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to train uh, people at the lower end to uh, design robots uh, to be software well, programmers. True, and you've got, to, you've got the whole service industry. You've got a, you've got a medical services industry. You've got all kinds of, of uh, you know, the, but this, the, the this services is where you... for, the, for the rich that... that Look, look what's happened in the States in terms of the unskilled people that pour across the border this from Mexico why, and Central America. This is why you need a minimum wage. You, you need to have some well, sort of base or core. Does the minimum wage alleviate this problem of income inequality? I suspect maybe it does. 
Well, there's a, a reasonably good example, Nick. I know you're opposed to the minimum wage, but uh, um, Washington State has, I think, the highest minimum wage in the U.S. And uh, and their restaurant sector and bar sector is doing quite well. And uh, the actual um, growth rates in Washington are, are better than most states. I don't know. It's probably in the top seven or eight, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, something it's very like good. that. Uh, but, it's but one I, reason I, why I, I have I property there's, there. There's a huge swath of people who are very much against the minimum wage. And, and I know you you'd like to make the point why it doesn't work well again it's an imposed uh, it's an imposed outcome and and picking up michael's point about robots you see the question is in the face of these changes which are all very real the issue is uh, what do you do about it do you, do you attempt as a state to to make imposed changes if you raise the minimum wage sharply um, and robots get more and more efficient of course the loss of jobs at the lower end gets even faster not slower yeah. Which, yeah. which is why the, the minimum wage is only, I think, an interim solution. I mean, if, if you look at, at some What's of the... What's your final solution, Michael? Well, whenever you... If we, let, let's go to the, the science fiction level, okay, to where you basically have androids that could, quote, replace uh, human beings in, in all cases for all instances. Then the question becomes, um, uh, do the, does the present, quote, economic arrangements... Uh, which in many ways are, are based on uh, demand which has nothing to do with being human. Uh, demand is purely a, a, a monetary thing. It's, it's almost uh, divorced from what it means to be a human. Uh, we get to this um, almost Star Trek kind of, uh, of, of instance where there is no longer any trade, and yet people live, people survive, because they recognize that tools, robots are tools. And their tools to improve the human condition, not to replace the human condition. But if you get robots doing all of the manual labor, um, how are That's, you going to? Um, are you going to have to incentivize companies to um, to give them tax breaks to actually employ people instead of robots? Wait, I, I, Brian, I you you let the market find out what it is you could employ those people to do that a robotic um, uh, worker could not do. I mean, we could have had this discussion 200 years ago about people coming off the land and saying, look, 97% of people are employed in farming. If we have these factory things, nobody's going to have a job. But Nick, you know, we, we what we see happening now is an increase in inequality. And, you know, people at the lower end, uh, to a point, may go along. They're going along now. But, you know, it if this continues, you take it out to the nth degree, then you've got very angry people well, you can go back who to will Adam, rebel. They you, will and, revolt. And you can go back to Adam Smith, who goes back to this time uh, exactly what Nick was talking about when he was looking at a changing society. And one of his proposals was uh, that things that take too long but are uh, for investment but which are essential for a government for a society to thrive such as bridges and roads and railroads and this came after smith of course but he also included housing and, and education as being things that needed to be provided by government in order to have the kind of of base level that human beings could, could survive on the one hand and on the other develop their talents so that they, they could contribute to society and th this basically means that there is there is some base level that we have to set um, before we can start quote bringing the market uh, into the distribution of the various talents. Now, this is exactly how we do with families. We don't expect a baby to start contributing immediately to family income. 
there is a long period of time in which those babies are, as it were, subsidized by the state uh, before they start taking over the, the responsibilities. And eventually they're the ones that support the, the retirees. Sounds reasonable, Nick. The state, the state is parent. Uh, so we all, in fact, stay children all of our lives while the no, state... No, 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 exa- exactly the opposite. The, 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 we, we, we stay to the point of, of support until we don't need it, until we grow up. The, there is a natural level of growth there. I mean, the whole point is to get people off of the dole. It, it, and, and that's exactly the same thing with children. You know, at a certain point... Uh, people say, look, you're an adult. You're legally an adult. I don't need to keep you in my house. I can't go to jail if I just, you know, close the door on you. You try that with a five-year-old, you're going to jail. Try that with a 25-year-old, this is a distributional totally different. discussion. As Brian started with inequality of income, if, if you engineer flat incomes so that there is no incentive to invest, no, no you don't engineer work, flat income. We're, yeah. we're talking about a, a, a That's bottom... That's why I asked you about your final solution. A bottom income. What am I allowed to earn, Michael? Uh, a bottom income, a survival income. That's the whole concept behind the, the minimum wage is to, at a minimum, it should be at a level that ensures that people can survive. Uh, and not it's not meant to punish. Uh, and what you find is people who are on the minimum income do their absolute best to get off of it. And, uh, and this is where Barry is right. If people have an opportunity to get a job to, and it, it actually shows an appreciable improvement in their state, they'll take it. Briefly, is the minimum wage in Hong Kong having much of an Im- impact on people or is it too low? It, it, it doesn't seem – well, on the one hand – I mean, it it's not having, bringing them out of poverty, is it? You see no fewer complaints now than you did uh, yeah, well, three years ago. Well, one of the problems we have is that we have groups of people who are uh, uh, old enough. Okay, for example, older women who are illiterate, and we have about uh, 30 percent of women over about age 65 are illiterate. These are folks who came here in the 30s, 40s, 50s with no education at all because of the, the collapse of the, of the system in the mainland uh, under various assaults. Um, and these folks now don't have any sort of, of structure. They don't have a family structure. We don't have a, a social welfare structure uh, that helps them. And, in fact, a lot of them are ending up in jail. We have one of the – I think we do have the world's highest level of female incarceration here in Hong Kong. And much of it is increasingly older women who steal food because they're starving. Nick, let me give you the final word because we're almost out of time. It's amazing how quick it goes. Um, Would you like to wrap up? Well, I I think what I'd say in summary is that um, it's, as I feared at the beginning, it's very easy to get distracted um, by concerns about uh, people with social problems that one would look to philanthropy to support and turn that into a decision to engineer incomes uh, and and other economic aspects of the whole of society. It may feel good, but you end up with a whole series of unintended consequences, which we're getting here with minimum wage. Unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there. It's a discussion that uh, we should probably also have on Back Chat, where we have a little bit more time. Many thanks to all of our guests for joining. Michael DeGolia with me here in the studios at Broadcasting House. Nick Salno-Smith, chairman of the Link Reed, down at our Admiralty Studios in Barrie. Thank you very much. Um, We'll talk again next Monday morning. Barry Wood, our RTHK's International Economics Correspondent.
Just briefly in the weather today, cloudy with some occasional rain, low visibility, not the best of uh, phases that we're in right now. A few thunderstorms later. The rain will ease off in the next few days. I think on Friday we get just a glimpse of sunshine. Money for nothing at 8.30. The latest news with Samantha Butler. A U.S. official says the American Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel is expected to visit China's aircraft carrier when he arrives in the country today. The official said the planned carrier visit would come at the start of his three-day trip to the mainland. Meanwhile, Mr. Hagel says the United States will send two ballistic missile destroyers to Japan to counter recent missile tests by North Korea. The ships will join several U.S. warships already stationed in Japan. Mr. Hagel also used a visit to Tokyo to address territorial disputes between China and its neighbors. Great powers have great responsibilities, and China is uh, a great power. And with this power comes new and wider responsibilities as to how you use that power. I, uh, I want to talk with the Chinese about all of that, particularly transparency. The Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott will become the first foreign leader to address Japan's National Security Council today in a move that could anger China. Radio Australia's Matthew Carney.